Dunker Punks. Thank you so much for tuning in for this special bonus episode of the podcast. A few weeks ago, we heard from Pastor Josiah Ludwig. Josiah had kicked off a series of podcast episodes about social justice and intercultural ministry by breaking down the statement put out by his congregation that he helps pastor, Harrisburg First Church of the Brethren, in the wake of George Floyd's murder and the subsequent protests. In this episode, which was originally supposed to air at that time, but that we postponed so that we could be more responsive to the situation and move where we felt God was asking us to be, Josiah gives us the next installment in that series about intercultural ministry. Josiah reflects on a time of bridging cultures by journeying outside of the United States to Rwanda, where he lived with his family for a year on a project with the Church of the Brethren Global Mission and Service Ministry. Josiah is intentional about getting out of the way. And so throughout this episode, he centers the voices of two friends from his time in Rwanda, Baptist minister Emmanuel Ndulimana and Church of the Brethren pastor Etienne Nzazimana, as well as beautiful worship music. I enjoyed hearing about Josiah's time in Rwanda and especially enjoyed hearing from the people he befriended and has come to know as siblings in Christ. I hope that you will too. Hey, Dunker Punks. It's Josiah Ludwig here. I'm really excited to uh, share with you guys uh, in this series on intercultural ministries. I'm in a unique position to do so as I've been serving at an intercultural church in Harrisburg uh, since 2003, where God's been doing just amazing things. And my family and I had the opportunity to uh, spend about a year in uh, Rwanda and uh, just to see all the amazing things that God is doing in the new and budding ministries there in a, a beautiful country in East Africa. In future episodes, we'll be looking at the ministries at Harrisburg First Church of the Brethren, Brethren Community Ministries, as well as a special focus on the Agape Satyagraha program. So for this first episode, I just want to focus on that year that we spent, uh, the wonderful things that God is about doing there, and try to give you a feel for what it's like uh, to be in that beautiful country that's become a second home for me and my family. So come along with me as we uh, go and check out all that the Lord is doing there in the beautiful country of Rwanda, and as we visit with some of the leaders from the Church of the Brethren in Rwanda. headed to a place called Rwanda, uh, most of the responses we got were something like, where? Uh, or some folks would make a joke about saying hi to Don Cheadle, of course, referring to the, the movie Hotel Rwanda, which dealt with the genocide 
Um, but most folks have no idea where Rwanda is. It's a tiny little country in East Africa. And so I thought that um, a good place to start today would be to uh, give you a sense for what the country is like. I'll give you a few of my reflections. Uh, when I, since coming home and I see pictures of friends who have gone to Hawaii or clips from uh, any of the Jurassic Park movies, um, that's really what Rwanda uh, looks like and feels like. It's it's a tropical paradise, uh, fresh food. Um, there, there's nothing that you'll eat there that's been packaged in general. Um, avocados as big as cantaloupes, and pineapples as sweet as candy. And uh, it's just a, a, a beautiful place. Um, the, the pace of life is, is fairly slow, um, and people really enjoy being with one another. Something else that is pretty incredible is how far the country has advanced uh, since the, the genocide took place 25 years ago. Um, just about any uh, technology that, that you would need to feel somewhat comfortable is accessible there. The roads are pretty good, um, and it's, it's a very developed country. Now, it is Africa still, so uh, some of those advancements um, aren't working all the time. Um, but when you picture Africa, sometimes you're not thinking about, um, you know, a place where there would be ATMs around or people with cell phones um, and, uh, you know, 3G or even sometimes 4G uh, Wi-Fi. Uh, but uh, Rwanda has advanced in that way. In addition to that, something that I find really remarkable about the country is how they've been able to come together in the wake of such an atrocity that happened, as I said, 25 years ago, they don't use the terms uh, for um, each tribe anymore um, as a means for coming together and unifying as a nation. Uh, the word Rwandan or Rwandese is what is used. And it's just incredible to see how they've been able to come together after all that has happened. We live in a country that is very fractured today, but we haven't gone through close to what they did. Um, but they've found a path forward, and that path has been together. That path has been through uh, reconciliation. So it makes a lot of sense that the Peace Church, um, you know, Mennonites, Quakers, and now the Church of the Brethren have uh, made their mark uh, in Rwanda in these years. I wanted to give you a chance to hear from a good friend of mine, whose name is Emmanuel Ndolimana, who's a Baptist pastor uh, in Rwanda. He has close ties to the Church of the Brethren. Um, in fact, he's married to the daughter of the founder of the Church of the Brethren in Rwanda. But I asked Emmanuel just to share a little bit about his country um, and how things are right now, given the pandemic, as well as uh, the rains and flooding that has taken place over the last several weeks. So my thought is to get out of the way and allow my dear friend to share with you from his heart about his home country of Rwanda. Rwanda is a, a small country located in the East Central Africa. Uh, the land is about 10,000 square miles, but uh, it has a lot of mountains, and that's why they call it a, a country of a thousand hills. So 
uh, everywhere you see hills whenever you travel around Rwanda. So the climate is uh, doesn't change much. So all year round, and uh, it's not extremely hot, neither extremely cold. Uh, but uh, it's a uh, it's I would say generally it will be in the 80s during the the day and. Uh, in the 60, 60 degrees Fahrenheit at night. So the difference in weather is when there is rain or no rain. That's when the weather changes. Otherwise, you don't need to know much about what is the temperature today or what is the weather going to be. And the people in Rwanda are friendly. And despite the past history of war and genocide that claimed over a million people, People have reconciled and uh, they are moving together, uh, loving each other and developing very fast. So the economy is developing and uh, Rwanda is very peaceful. It's uh, ranked one of the most uh, secure countries in Africa to travel to. Recently in Rwanda, we had heavy rains that uh, brought floods at a level that I'd never seen in a my last 40 years of life. Uh, there was uh, heavy rains for a couple of months. Uh, the land, the soil was wet. Uh, so when these rains came, it flooded. The floods killed uh, over 70 people. Mm. It destroyed uh, many hundreds of houses and hundreds of acres of land where the crops was also destroyed. Uh, which is going to bring an issue with the food security in the coming months. Mm -hmm. uh, the response as churches, we've tried to respond in a way that we are able, helping people with some food and also those whose houses we have destroyed. Uh, we accommodated them in the churches and the classrooms. Personally, at the church where I'm a pastor, we have four families living inside our church building and uh, our classrooms. So that has been the recent rains in Rwanda. When the coronavirus came, Rwanda is a country closed borders and the airport and uh, a lockdown for people to stay home. Uh, currently, the people infected with the coronavirus in Rwanda, about 300, and uh, about half of them have been healed, and uh, nobody has died so far from coronavirus. So, and, uh, so that has affected the staying at home, has affected a lot of families, because there are many families who, who eat when they work for the day, and that's what they are going to eat. So that brought an issue to some of the families. And, uh, but uh, again, there is hope that uh, the, the virus is going to be contained because people have learned how to wash hands, how to, uh, to give the social distancing, and uh, even work at home using technology. So that has been the situation in Rwanda. Of recent, they, they have uh, somehow relaxed a little bit some of the lockdown, uh, the requirements. Uh, a couple of people uh, 
like buses now can travel, but you stay within your district. You don't go beyond your 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 province. Mm. So people in the capital city of Kigali cannot live to go in the provinces, and the people in the provinces they stay in their province. So the the taxis are working and buses, but uh, with the social distancing, so they are carrying fewer people. Uh, but people with the motorbikes, taxi cannot work unless there is one person, but they cannot carry people. So those are some of the, the families that have been affected by this issue. Mm. So it sounds like the, uh, the actual illness is not the, what is happening that is hurting. It's the lack of food because of having to stay home. Exactly. Lack of food because of staying at home, even for people who used to work and they could take care of their needs, but this time there's no way to work. So there are a couple of things that uh, uh, people in a country like ours, Rwanda, and generally some of the third world countries we deal with, but they are not uh, common in the, in the Western world. I got an opportunity to study in America doing a master's of theology. And the, the couple of years I lived there, there is no way to compare the life there and here. One of the things we deal with is uh, they are called neglected tropical diseases. Uh, one of them are stomach worms called ascariasis. They're affecting around 1.2 billion people in the world. When you go around here in a typical village, you do a random test, over 75 to 85 of the kids are going to test positive with those worms. And uh, once they grow in, a, in somebody, once they are not treated, they rob the nutrients that the child is eating, and they are going to, to have growth retardation and other effects. Uh, but uh, a Westerner cannot imagine how it, it happens. So another challenge is uh, even things like uh, basic food, getting their food. It's a, a challenge to some of the families. And uh, I know, you know, poverty, even in the West, there's poverty, but it's, it's different. It might be called poverty, but it's different. And maybe there'll be a food bank or food stamp or somewhere you can go to get food. A little bit in the West, you'll have a, a, a little bit kind of a safety net that will surround you. Around here in these countries, when you starve, it means the starving. There is no place that I know you can walk and you get that kind of help or food stamp or some other way or, that Westerners can have. So those are some of the, the challenges that uh, people face and especially now with the, the coronavirus that has happened, it caused the food insecurity. And then the same people will have floods again. It's adding on what is already going on. So those are the challenges that we'll be facing even in the coming months. Another thing I would like to mention is even like education. You know, there are schools available, but... Uh, here, even like even for pastors, theological education, you find that over 85% of pastors that you are working with have never got an opportunity to do theological training. A way to help is uh, to avail theological education to, to the people 
here maybe help with the school or establish a school that can train the the ministers in general of the gospel or or help the struggling existing schools that are there and then that can help to to establish uh, strong farm churches when the the people ministering are trained so i am a pastor with the Evangelical Baptist Churches of Rwanda, which is an indigenous church group here in Rwanda. But we are very close and friends to the Church of the Brethren. We invite each other to help each other when there is a need, either construction or any event. We are very close to each other. But it's not only the Church of the Brethren in Rwanda, but also we are also friends. We've been friends with the the Church of the Brethren in America. For the last 12 years, my wife has been in a partnership with a ministry that has supported us. It's called the Global Women Project. And uh, they have been uh, supporting her efforts to reach women, helping women around the community. And uh, so the relationship goes back that way, even the church of, before the Church of the Brethren was started in Rwanda. So there is, there's those connections and working together as we see ourselves as one kingdom. I love it. I love it. I want to say thank you for the Church of the Brethren in America, for the support here in Rwanda, even within the coronavirus, the, the relief support to the people around, not only church members, but also to the people in the neighborhood who are needy. Thank you so much for that support. Also, I would like to say a special thank you to the Global Women Project for the support that I've been given over the past years to the women here in Rwanda. Thank you so much. just heard is a chorus that is sung at prayer meetings and worship services. And uh, the, the words just say, uh, today we will see God. And I don't know how many prayer meetings you've ever been to that have been as lively as that, but uh, it is something that is commonplace in Rwanda. The next thing I want to tell you a little bit about is uh, our time and, and what we were called to do. Uh, Jay Whitmire, who at the time was in charge of the Office of Global Mission and Service, uh, had the foresight to not really give us much of an assignment. He essentially said we were to go as a family and simply live in Rwanda 
be brethren um, and show the people how we are living, form relationships with people, get to know the country, and get to know what it is God is doing there. And I'm so thankful that he uh, had that foresight because we were able to just really take in the country to really uh, pour ourselves into getting to know people as they are and had little to worry about in in regards to uh, accomplishing any certain tasks. At the beginning, it was a little difficult to not have that task. The, the Western part of us wanted to have a measuring stick, but things became apparent as far as uh, what was needed once we were there for a time and, and really got to know uh, the people and what God is already doing there. And I do want to stress that God was already about some awesome things in Rwanda prior to us ever going. He had used Pastor Etienne Nzanzimana to plant four churches, one in Gisenyi, one in Mudende, one in Humore, and one in Gasiza. And when you hear from him in a little bit, you'll hear him mention some of those congregations. Each of the churches had regular prayer meetings, uh, prison ministry. Uh, there was the training of leaders, uh, sending young people to theological training and peace training, uh, a denomination-wide women's program, uh, choirs, <laughs> just beautiful choirs at each church, um, even a national youth cabinet, uh, things of that nature. Uh, one of the things that is a distinctive in Rwanda is the program towards uh, the Batwa, um, and these are the indigenous people of Rwanda. The Batwa are outcasts in their own society. As I said, they're the indigenous people of Rwanda. And uh, over the generations, they were hunters and gatherers in the forests, primarily living um, off of the mountain gorilla. And as the numbers of gorillas dwindled, they were told they could no longer do that. And the numbers of gorillas really dwindled due to overpopulation and, and other factors, not due to the lifestyle of the Batwa at all. And yet they were made to change their entire lifestyle, um, told they could no longer do what they were doing in the forests, placed on land that nobody else wanted. Does that sound familiar to anyone? The analogy is, is so stark with uh, how we've treated indigenous peoples here. But the fact that the brethren reached out to them um, and welcomed them um, is a distinctive of, uh, of our churches there in Rwanda. I don't know that there's another denomination that would see this group of people as valuable, and yet we have done so. Pastor Etienne had a, a special burden for these people, and you'll hear him talk about that a little bit as well. One other thing, just as you hear him speaking, uh, he'll refer to Earlham University, which some of you would know uh, is on the same campus as our own Bethany Seminary. And uh, the, the person Marla that he will be referring to is a brethren pastor, Marla Bieber Abey, uh, who he befriended. And uh, that's sort of how the Church of the Brethren in Rwanda got started. It started just the way any of our lives with the Lord have started uh, with relationship. Now, during our time in Rwanda, it was a constant battle to help the church's leadership to, to see that we weren't anything special, but that they were what the church needed. We have pastors with master's degrees and 
just wonderful hearts for the people of Rwanda. And so it was a, a constant um, pushback to elevate the leadership that was there. They constantly want, oh, Pastor Josiah, you, you must say this, you must teach that. And um, our goal was always to provide support when possible, but to really um, uplift those who God had placed in Rwanda uh, with the flocks that they were entrusted to. And with that in mind, let me get out of the way once again and allow Pastor Etienne Nzanzimana, the founder of the Church of the Brethren in Rwanda, talk to you a little bit about how uh, he was able to begin working with our denomination. to know the Church of the Brethren when I came to the U.S. Uh, at Elam School of Religion. Uh, I took some courses in Tibetan seminary, like uh, New Testament, Greek, and the other uh, theological courses. So I met Mara, Mara there. We, we was at the same class. So uh, sometime uh, when I ask some question, like English, uh, he we talk and have a good conversation, and he introduced me uh, the church of the brethren. Uh, I love where he helped. She helped me, and then where I, he told me the church, the brethren, the church of love, the church of peace, and uh, how they, they are faith. Uh, they, um, I love so much the church of the brethren. And uh, you know, I did not start joining the church of the brethren. When I came back in Rwanda, I worked for nine years now in the, uh, in the French church, in the French church. Mm -hmm. So, and the, when they, they told me to go to transfer in the, in the far away from my home, so I, I resigned then uh, for one year. Then after a year, God called me again. I... I wrote to Mara, she asked me why will you stop it, why you resigned so he, uh, why you cannot join the Church of the Brethren. I continued to work with the Church of the Brethren from Batwa, teaching them, uh, working with the agriculture. Uh, I, I worked with the Batwa for seven years uh, before joining to the Church of the President. In 2015, uh, August, uh, we started the Church, the Church of the President in, in the village called Gassiza. Uh, it was July 2015. It began under the tree, uh, avocado tree. Mm -hmm. uh, it was not easy to start because many people were telling 
each other that it is their new church. They started to say some names saying that it is the church of not good church. Mm-hmm. As I say, the it was the that, that our church is the used eve of spirits mm-hmm. and so many other names we do not discourage uh, for we have already understand the church of the present bliss mm-hmm. and the, we focus or explain the this point of the church of the rest uh, slowly by slowly they began the church and the you know when uh, he was here sometimes they called the demonic because of the baptism so <laughs> here they actually they know the baptism for they say they don't say for three times you know here they know uh, baptism they say one times but mm-hmm. you hours the way as three times and the father one and the sun, the spirit, three times. Mm-hmm. So we in Uganda we are different to other churches. Now t- uh, through the book of Brethren Belief, uh, some of our church, some members, they are now understood the baptism. Even they explain to other people. Mm-hmm. Now we have no problem. Like yeah. before, you know, through the patience, uh, we try to to explain to the people. I think uh, I think they, they we have uh, they can know they can see our good fruits, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, also they can see where we love one another, mm-hmm. so they could do love our church. This is what I this is what I noticed when I was there too. Yes. <laughs> that we could see that you love the people and so people want to be want to be there so they can be loved. Yes. <laughs> Very yes. good. Very good. So it took much time, much patience. Um, no problem. And not being not being discouraged too. There are some main things we can explain. To them, like uh, loving full fist, uh, like a washing feet. Uh, sometimes they have not, and a few churches have. And also, uh, uh, we explained that our church is a church of peace, church of love. So I, someone who asked, I tried to explain. Our where our church. We started in 2018 when you came here, where you you took time to visit our church to training our people when you use the that book, Brethren Belief. So uh, our church members like eat that book very much, and we talk we use this time to teach and training a team. Which team will continue to train our members and the and the new believers? Uh, this book was helping so much, and the, those you train it will continue to teach even in, uh, maybe in, in September when they open the church, they will continue to.
to train other new believers. The other challenges for our church, we have four churches, uh, even though uh, we have uh, land, but uh, like Umbra is a very small land, you know, it's not big. And the president in the US for helping the church, uh, he said you to get land, like when you're here, you, you saw we extended our land in the same, that is okay. Uh, but uh, we, we, the government needs better church offices and some activity like a development activity. So, so that we can get the document, the permanent document, or permit, bed school, or clinic, or Bible school, or technical school. And we, uh, I think uh, next year, maybe we'll finish the Church of Montana and the, the Church of Gastiza. So we are looking now in the same so that we can get a church because uh, they visited here because it will be the headquarters. So we have a fundraising. Uh, so yeah, we have uh, fundraising the money for bidding, and we have uh, we raised over one million in our churches, in our four churches, one thousand, one thousand US and five hundred, like all oh, six hundred like that. Mm -hmm. So we sometimes some people they. They bring uh, chicken, mm -hmm. some people bring a goat, and one person bring small cow, cow, and we sold that, and some they bring iced potatoes, sweet potatoes, and beans, and we sold and the avocado, and we got that and money. And the people who saw the, we, they love the way we, we make fundraising. Mm. And we have another fundraising in the next year mm -hmm. so that we can continue to build our church. Thank you both for the church of the brethren in the USA, how they support us to get land, to get some uh, financial, like a building in Modende, Gassiza, Umure. And the, uh, we need also prayers. Uh, like uh, even uh, financial support at the large, uh, or if possible, we need the uh, missionary uh, to come to continue to teach brethren belief in our churches, maybe for 10 years, <laughs> to live here for 10 years. <laughs> Not, not for one year. For <laughs> 10 years, okay. <laughs> you may have noticed we were laughing there towards the end. From the first week that we arrived in Rwanda, Pastor Etienne was trying to get us to extend our stay there. And many others, it was kind of a, a funny thing to say, oh, you'll extend two years, maybe three, uh, knowing that we would only be there for one year. So... Uh, to propose a, a, mi a missionary to come for 10 years, 
um, is a, a little bit of a joke, but uh, they would love to have people from the States uh, there regularly um, just to interact with what's happening there. One opportunity you would have to, to do something like that if you'd be interested, uh, next May we'll be doing uh, the International Work Camp uh, through the Church of the Brethren. Uh, it was supposed to be this year, but due to the the coronavirus outbreak um, throughout the world, uh, it was postponed and uh, we'll be going next year. I imagine it'll be in May. I don't know the exact date. Uh, something else to keep in mind that Etienne was speaking about is um, he, he kept mentioning the Brethren Beliefs book. This is a book that was written by Galen Hackman, and it's been translated into many different languages. It was originally written for the Nigerian church, the EYN, and now has been translated and is used throughout the world. Just about every country that the brethren find themselves in, we use it in Haiti, we use it in the Dominican Republic, in Brazil, um, in DR Congo, so many different places. This was a really neat resource to be able to use while we were there as we were able to teach brethren baptism as well as love feast which Pastor Etienne referred to in his remarks, we were able to participate in the first love feast in a country, which was just amazing, as well as the second and third ever trine immersion baptism. So that was some of what God blessed us uh, to be a part of. We learned so much about just uh, giving God all of the control and uh, just allowing him to use us as he sees fit. We had no choice. We had no power. We didn't know the language. We had to rely on our brothers and sisters as well as on our Lord. And uh, he just made a way for us again and again and again. He showed us what it is to have his strength uh, through our own weakness and just to see how amazing he can be through us when we get out of the way and allow him to do what he wants to do. Um, I wanted to just make special mention of the fact that the the brethren in Rwanda do not come to the brethren in the U.S. with hands outstretched. As Pastor Etienne said, they, they do their own fundraising. And I just find that amazing that these people that have so little are able to give sacrificially of what they have. As he said, some are bringing animals, some are bringing food, different things, and they're able to sell that and then use the money to um, build their church. Last year, I asked our friends on the state side to consider uh, matching those funds and um, planning to do that once again this year. So if you're feeling a burden to uh, help with some of the work in Rwanda, um, you can do that through the Elgin's uh, Global Mission and Service Office. I would encourage you to tell them that it's for Rwanda. Also, Southern PA District of the Church of the Brethren has a, a pretty active pipeline going between the states and Rwanda to help support the, the different efforts that are going on there. Again, they're not coming and asking. Uh, they've already stepped out in faith and, as Pastor told you, have come up with $1,600 this year. And uh, again, I, I just it blows me away that they're able to do that. So I, I just, I hope that you've had a, a nice time hearing from some of the leaders in Rwanda. I'd be happy to talk to any of you. Uh, I'll put my 
contact information in the description. If, if anybody has any questions about Rwanda, about what God's doing there, about how you can get involved, um, please don't hesitate to reach out with any ideas that, that you might have. And with that, we'll let the praise team from the Gisenyi Church play us out as they sing, Come and Dance to the Lord, in the language of Kinyarwanda, Tambira Jehovah. There's so much beauty to grab a hold of in the testimony that we just heard. Two things jump out to me in my mind that I'm going to talk a little bit more about, but this was such a rich and full episode featuring powerful voices and testimonies and stories that I am sure that there's so much more I could say as well. The first thing I want to say is that I really appreciated the point that Josiah raised and that we later heard from Pastor Etienne about what it means to be a church and a people of peace in the wake of horrific violence. As Josiah describes it, Rwanda is in many ways a model for healing and reconciliation after conflict. And the flourishing of peace is surely one of the strongest ways to witness God's hand at work there. The witness of peace is one of the most precious gifts that God has given our denomination. And so I was moved to hear Josiah's account of peace in this episode. However, I will confess that I, like a lot of people I'm sure, don't know very much about Rwanda. I learned a lot in this episode. And so when I hear the word Rwanda, my mind immediately summons up a particular association. It immediately thinks of the next word that I've most often heard connected to Rwanda. This is an association I think that many other people share as well. Genocide. And yet we hear so much less about the peace and reconciliation that has followed. To our own detriment, because this means that we're missing out on an important example, but also it's important to acknowledge that this feeds into a global system of oppression and a colonial mindset. It makes me wonder why we in the United States feel entitled to conjure up an idea that reduces an entire country to violence and bloodshed when we are the country that spends more than the next 10 combined on our military. And ours are the police who flood the streets decked out like an invading and occupying force. Next, I'm still thinking about Josiah's point about going to Rwanda just to be there not with a rigidly set agenda in hand or a program to accomplish. I have strong hesitations and very mixed feelings about missionary work. And before I had the chance to actually listen to this episode, I will confess that I was feeling a little trepidation about it. My hesitation comes from the obviously brutal legacy that missionaries from the Christian church have earned, particularly for their behavior and their actions against indigenous people. And even the modern model of missionary work in the wider Christian church, which tends to be admittedly a lot less invasive and surely less violent than in generations past, 
still has a colonialist mindset that the white Western church knows best and has the authority to go into communities and tell them what to do, tell them how to live, and to tell them what their problems are and how to solve them instead of ever bothering to listen and learn. I know that because of our nonviolent theology, Church of the Brethren missionaries have never fit into the violent mold that we often associate with missionary work of generations past. But I also know that the Church of the Brethren missions hasn't been perfect either, far from it. And I'm sure that a lot of colonialist mindsets have historically been part of it and still do seep into some of the work that is done with the best of intentions even today. Ultimately, it's that word mission in missionary that I think really describes what sets me back and gets at the problem. It just screams of having an agenda. If you're a man on a mission, you aren't exactly in the right frame of mind to listen, to learn, to be responsive, to the only people who have any authority at all to tell you what they want and need and how you can be helpful. So I was pleased and relieved to hear of Josiah's account of his time in Rwanda, which began not with an agenda. In fact, intentionally not with an agenda, not with a mission, but just with the commission to go and to be, to get to know the country and the people, to build relationships. I have no doubt the, the warm friendships Josiah made and features on this episode marked by a genuine love for Josiah and a real depth of gratitude for his presence and a generous welcome for him to stay and be part of this new community that he had built is tied directly to his important decision from the beginning to be there just to be there, not to be there to be in charge. So for a moving and thoughtful episode about intercultural relationships and ministry in a place full of true beauty and wonderful people, I thank Josiah, Emmanuel, and Etienne for lending their voices. And I thank you, Dunker Punks, for listening and coming on this intercultural journey with us. Until next time, I thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening to each episode. We also hope that you'll subscribe and that you'll recommend this show to a friend. The Dunker Punks podcast is put together by a team of people committed to bridging cultures, building relationships, and being with one another just to be with one another. We were inspired by the 2014 National Youth Conference, and we've been amplifying youth and young adult voices and sharing what's on our hearts of young people and featuring the work of the Emerging Church since 2015. This season, we featured our 100th episode, and we are very excited about that. The team for this episode included Josiah Ludwig, who provided the audio, Jacob Krauss, who edits the show and creates our music, Suzanne Lay, who manages production, and I'm your host for this episode, Emmett Wachowski Eldred. Arlington Church of the Brethren provides server space and sponsors the show. On Earth Peace gives us a lot of help and support as well. You can find archives of our episodes on iTunes or by going online to arlingtoncob.org dpp. You can also connect with our show on social media at DunkerPunksPod or by emailing us at dpp at arlingtoncob.org. Keep your eye out for more bonus episodes this summer, and we will see you when we return for our fall season. Mm-hmm.